Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. How are you, Ramon? How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? You say shitty wrestler like Mongo McMichaels. We are going to fucking end this <laughs> podcast right fuck. I thought I told you, Nick, when you get another podcast host in here, he has to be on the same page with fucking Mongo. That was like the one thing I asked is like, when we bring somebody in, I can't be the lone Mongo apologist on this fucking show, okay? Sorry, I didn't know this is a football podcast. Oh, it, it's going to be. It it's going to be. It is today. All right. Hello and welcome to... Pro Wrestling slash Football Podcast, Tim Bell Pod. I'm Nick Alexander, and I am virtually here with Tyler Wood. Howdy, gentlemen. And we are joined by Forrest Horseman, the man scout Jake Manning. Oh, I got to tell that to my new friend, Arn Anderson. <laughs> we sat in first class together on the way back from Austin, Texas. He already had a first class ticket. I just got upgraded because I am... Uh, American gold right now, so you know, humble brag, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell that to my new friend Arn Anderson. Then I'm a forest horseman, for forest horse. Oh, okay, I've already messed it up. This is why. This is why. This is why Nick is in charge of the intros. This is why. He's in charge <laughs> of the this is why. All right, today we have an episode similar to when we covered Andy Kaufman because we are discussing Eagle Scout, huge wrestling fan, and NFL Hall of Famer Kevin Green. Do you know he was an Eagle Scout, Jake? I've heard it before, but I've forgotten it a couple of times, and then he brought it back, and then it was like, oh, yes, I do remember this. I think it was in his football life, which I watched, which surprisingly, I'm surprised Nick Alexander did not find out that he had a football life, because he is astute when it comes to his research, yeah. but uh, I am a big fan of anything involving the NFL Network, uh, also because my uncle is a sound recordist for NFL Films. So, oh, shit. Oh, um, neat. Yeah. Big fan of anything that's on the NFL Network and Football Life is one of my favorite shows. And Kevin Green had a fantastic episode talking about how he was just a wonderful, great fucking guy and a nut job on the football field. So aside from his football life, there's not like a ton out there on Kevin Green, um, especially when it comes to pro wrestling. You know, he doesn't have like a shoot. He even really doesn't have a ton of football interviews. Sure, a lot of that's because he came up in an era where just, you know, podcasts weren't a thing. But a big source I used for this episode was a podcast he did called Going Long. So check that out if you wanna. Anything on Kevin Green before we get started? Just get into it. Like I was telling you before we started re recording, he was one of my favorite football players that I watched when growing up. I remember him from the Pittsburgh Steelers, even though I was a child of the 90s and in love of the 90s Dallas Cowboys. But I had some affinity towards that early 90s Steelers team with him and Greg Lloyd, Neil O'Donnell, quarterback, Barry Foster run, running the ball. Yeah, Kevin Green was, I just remember him having long blonde hair sticking out from the football helmet and it just being a nut job. I think there's even like an NFL Films clip of him just yelling on the sideline going, yeah, 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 yeah. Like just, he's just a psychopath. And of course, being a kid of the 90s, loving expansion teams with teal and like 90s colors of the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers. Him ended up on the Panthers as well. And then of course, ending up on WCW. I mean, this guy was made to be a guy who was going to be on my radar and finding out later in life that he was an Eagle Scout as well. It just, it all makes sense. It all makes sense and really wish I could have got to meet him. Kevin Darwin Green was born July 31st, 1962 in Schenectady, New York. That's in upstate New York, which is not far from, I think, Glen Falls, New York, but it's, 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 up, it's upper New York, which, who is another? former football player turned pro wrestler from upstate New York and was billed from upstate New York for years. Shit, I don't know. 
Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, okay. So I'm sure in the same sense that I looked at Kevin Green like, oh, he was an Eagle Scout. That's cool to know. I'm sure him finding out that Hacksaw Jim Duggan was also, because I think he was billed from Glen Falls, New York, finding out that, oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, he's also from upstate New York. He played football, and he's a wrestler now, too. So can I. Kevin's dad was a colonel in the Army and actually a Vietnam vet. So uh, KG lived that army brat life. He moved around a a little bit before they settled down in Granite City, Illinois. While he was living on the various bases, he would get into sports with the other army kids. So for Granite High, he played basketball. He did the high jump for the track team and, of course, played the devil's foosball. He was not heavily recruited at all in high school, which is crazy to think that one of the greatest linebackers in NFL history, you'd think he would have had a mountain of recruiting letters. Uh, Absolutely not the case. After graduating in 80, he went to Auburn just as a student, and he chose Auburn because his parents were Alabamians and big Auburn fans, so War Eagle and all that shit. I love how you just uh, encapsulate something that people live and die for <laughs> in this in, in the southeast here, Nicholas. And you're just like, you know, Bama, War Eagle, you know, that shit. <laughs> like, there are several documentaries based around Auburn versus Alabama, Auburn football teams, that rivalry. And you just were like, ah, it's a thing that fucking people do in Alabama. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know, whatever they do in Alabama. Like, Nazis build rockets and shit. I don't fucking know. <laughs> They're pretty good at it. I mean, not bad. Not bad. Kevin eventually tried out and walked on to the Auburn football team, a team that had Bo Jackson on it. So this is a program that can choose from any by-god blue chipper on the planet and Kevin Green just walked in and earned a spot. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible. Was, I never connected the math in my head either, but like, yeah, like Bo Jackson and Kevin Green on the same football team. Like, if I could have just been a water boy, like, man, <laughs> like, that's, uh, like, that, that's incredible to me because, like, Bo Jackson was, like, my, my favorite athlete growing up, and then Kevin Green obviously was a guy that I really liked. So that's, that's incredible. And those Auburn teams – like I said, there's there's multiple documentaries about them. You know, behind Bo Jackson, they were pretty formidable. And dare I say, Auburn hasn't been quite as have only been that successful like a couple of times in their history since then. Seemed like uh, things went pretty good because he won the Zeke Smith Defensive Player of the Year award in '84. And uh, while doing all this football, he was working his way through Auburn's ROTC program. And as part of this, he went through National Guard basic training and would end up as a uh, second lieutenant. And even as a pro football player, he continued on. He'd end up as a captain. He trained at Fort Knox. He was a paratrooper, even though he only did the five required training jumps. Uh, still pretty crazy. All in all, Kevin spent 16 years in the Army Reserve. Just incredible, like his service to this country. And I remember being. When I got my Eagle Scout, they always would say, like, if you want to be in the armed services, you being an Eagle Scout will will help you in that endeavor. Like, they'll look upon that as like, oh, well, this is somebody we can be interested in because military is much like getting into business. It it can be a career if you look at it as like a career or if you just look at it like I'm here to serve my country. It could be, you know, you serve your country, but you can look at it as a career. So someone like Kevin looking at his father could be like, oh, I could see military as a career. And here I am as division one football player i can transition into a career in the military but at the same time too obviously football is going very well want to continue to do that but get that feeling of wanting to serve your country definitely runs deep especially somebody growing up in the midwest like i did the idea of you know the red white blue and that flag means and how important it is and service to our country it's very much a midwest ideal is that serve something that is much bigger than yourself After crushing at Auburn, Kevin was drafted in the fifth round by the L.A. Rams in the 85 draft. He spent most of his first three years in the league on special teams, but towards the end of the 87 season, the coaches called Kevin into the office. They said, we got to get you off the bench. You're too good. We have this defensive scheme 
for you called the Eagle defense. We just want you to go out there and hit the man with the ball. And boy, did Kevin go out there and hit the man with the ball. <laughs> and it's, it's so weird. Drafted in the fifth round. So expectations are, are, are kind of low for him. Like I got his trading card right in front of me as far as his statistics. Like the first year, he has 15 tackles. That's it. It's 15 tackles. This is like, solid for special teams. I mean, that's almost won a game. And... Yeah. I mean, and 11 of them were solo tackles. And, you know, he's, he's just like not in the mid, like he's zero sacks his first year. But then all of a sudden, his second year, he's got seven sacks. Then the next year, he's got 6.5. And clearly, when they did the Eagle defense, he had 16.5 sacks. <laughs> like, it is drastically different. Like, you can tell when you have an idea with a player and I, and I didn't really get this with pro sports. I thought like, if you're just the best player, you will be, you'll be successful and you go someplace and you'll do well. It wasn't until I saw a sports documentary about, I don't remember the exact title, but it was about Mitch Mustang. Mustang. I think, yeah, he was a, he ended up playing quarterback for the university of Arkansas. And he was like a five star, 10 star fucking recruit out of Arkansas in high school and he went to Arkansas university and they had his high school coach come along as the offensive coordinator. He was all set up for success and he played some really good games, I think in the sec and people were like, yeah, he's going to be like this really great quarterback. And then all, all of a sudden, like his head coach just had a disagreement with him and didn't like him and didn't like his head coach who is now the offensive coordinator so the head coach would do the stuff the offensive coordinator liked and then this poor fucking 19 year old kid is caught in the middle of this power play between adults and a university and how this coach wants to coach his football team and like his parents say something in the paper and now he wants to take it out on the kid and he really gets fucked over and then he transfers the usc the same time that mark sanchez is there and then another quarterback and he's like third string quarterback and then he doesn't even make it in the NFL and he was good every time he had an opportunity to play it just wrong situation wrong coach wrong set of circumstances and then he didn't achieve this all this potential he had in front of him and it was no doing of his own and he really got me to think about like huh so it isn't about being the best player on the field sometimes and it definitely Kevin Green is an example of that he was incredible enough to have 16.5 sacks as soon as they're like we need just a coaching decision like we're gonna do this we're gonna see this differently if this coach doesn't institute this we're probably not talking about kevin green he might have just gone into a military career and gone forth that way and he wouldn't have been a big star that could leverage his way into professional wrestling or get himself in front of people who could get him into wrestling and do the things that he did so it's just there, there's a bit of politics too football and i didn't even realize it until i saw that documentary and you know sometimes it's a set of circumstances and it's fate and fate smiled down upon young kevin green in this instance like jake said in 88 he just exploded for 16 and a half sacks and to give you non-football fans out there a little context there are seasons where that would have been the most in the nfl and 22 and a half is like the all-time most in one season and he's Chug along for 16 and a half, follows it up in 89 with also 16 and a half sacks. He'd make the all-pro team. He'd go to the Pro Bowl. Kevin went into the 90s, still sacking motherfuckers. But in 91, the Rams tried moving Kevin to defensive end in a new scheme with, a, I think, a new coaching staff. That, on top of some injuries, led to a big dip for him, only getting three sacks. I mean, that's only three more than I had that year, and I was four years old. <laughs> Also, that's like the dumbest thing ever, like moving somebody who's playing linebacker to defensive end. Like now yeah. you're paying, playing on the line. It seems really odd. And this is what coaching, like I said, sometimes that's more important than anything in this situation. From what a little bit I know about Kevin Green's career, the fact to hear him play that he played defensive end is absurd to me. Like, I don't know why he would ever not have him playing anything other than linebacker. Because you, you could see, like, he was great when he, like, stood over defensive linemen watching what's going on in the backfield. That's what he was incredible about, is reading the situation and putting him in the situation to make the play, make the stop. And that's why he came up with his eagle defense. It's because he's just like, go find the guy with the ball. And he always was looking out for it as opposed to, well, I got to take care of this guy in front of me and then assess the situation, which is basically anything on the defensive line. 
the entire Rams coaching staff was fired after that season. So, you know, <laughs> probably don't Rightfully fuck with so. yeah, don't fuck with your Hall of Fame linebacker. And literally 92 bounces right back with 10 sacks. In 93, Kevin tested the free agency and signed a 3-year deal for 5.35 million dollars with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Kevin said this is how he wants to be remembered. Pittsburgh Steeler with that lineage of just historic, amazing defenders. And Bill Cowher's the coach of this time, and he's really leaning in hard to that steel curtain, trying to build the Steelers the way that they were built in the 70s. And he was most certainly doing it. But the game was evolving a lot more. The passing was becoming more important. The big plays becoming more important. And that idea of... Tough defense, solid run game, capable quarterback play was this is where it's starting to kind of die out, where I feel like this these Steeler teams that were put together by Bill Cowher could have won you just as many championships as that 70s team because they were built the same exact way, the same archetype, the same philosophy and mindset. And the Steelers, as an organization, that was their identity. And it was part of the reason why it's still their identity today is because of the higher coaches that build upon that identity and that Bill Cowher very much in the same breath as Chuck Knoll and try to build the teams the same exact way and like I said this is the era where I start to know Kevin Green because I'm seeing him play against the Indianapolis Colts and fucking hunting down Jim Harbaugh who's like making every last second effort to take the Colts to the the Super Bowl but the Steelers just finding a way in defense and holding out at the end of the day but you just said the numbers of three years, $5 million. As we record this, we are in the most insane of free agency seasons you will ever fucking hear of. We have wide receivers getting $140 million <laughs> for three years. I mean, and you had Vaughn Miller, who I believe got like $180 million for five years, some stupid amount. And Von Miller, wonderful player, but definitely on the down half of his, of his career. That's where Kevin Green yeah. is, is making five. Hearing that number is insane, considering the, in, the insane numbers that are probably on my television screen right now as we speak. And I don't want Tyler to feel left out. So I thought this would be a good opportunity for you to explain Kevin's role in like a 4-3 scheme versus him dropping back more in coverage in a nickel. Oh, I was going to ask, nickel or dime? Is that something? <laughs> there you go. Listen, I've played some <laughs> video games and uh, I tried my best, but I am, I'm listening. <laughs> when I have a question, I'll pop in. All right, all right. So Kevin's first year with Pittsburgh had 12 and a half sacks. And that following year, he was again, all pro pro bowler. And he'd even split AFC linebacker of the year with junior Seah, who was just a fucking beast. Then the next year, Kevin and the Steelers would win the AFC championship, paving the way for the biggest moment of his career. When on January 26, 1996, he would get to go to the Super Station and debut at Clash of Champions 32. So at a Clash, KG walks out with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan for their match against Ric Flair and the Giant. And I know Hogan is no Kenneth Omega, but if you're going to send an unknown variable like a pro athlete out for a match, there's not three better people than Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, if they need to fall back on something, they've got three of the biggest personalities yeah. in the business. They're going to be fine. If this is a technical shit show, it's st everyone's still going to have fun. And see, the thing of just getting involved with pro wrestling, as I work for a company that's on national television, we have guests that come backstage all the time. And, they're, and when they're there, there's always the question of like, hey, you want to do something on TV? When we were in Nashville, the bad guy from Cobra Kai Martin something. Martin Shkreli? Yeah. The, the, you know, show no mercy. <laughs> That's the yeah. pharma, bro. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was going to check off on it. Yes. Yeah. No. So, Martin so, Mole. Um, when Martin Mole is backstage, we're like, hey, Martin Mole, you want to go on uh, TBS and say no mercy? I mean, it'll make no sense, but, you know. Melissa Joan Hart, too. Melissa Joan Hart, when, when you guys were in Nashville. 
Yes, uh, you know, and also too like when we were in Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh shit! Yeah, being, being there, like anytime you have celebrities or sports people, there's always this discussion of like, hey, what do you want to do in the show? Somebody will reach out, act if they want to come backstage, and then the next dialogue is, what do you want to do in the show? Do you want to do anything? You just want to come backstage. We'll let you do whatever. <laughs> but we, you know, there's always that in pro wrestling, and so sometimes you, you just never know. I mean, Shaq got a fucking match on national television for, you know, basically nothing. Snoop Dogg jumped off the top rope. Yeah. I mean, T-Pain was in the front row watching Cody Rhodes get set on fire. I mean, there, there's all of these things that, that that happen. And I'm sure Kevin's whole thing of, like, hey, I'm famous. I could, I could probably get in. And that's the thing, too. When you're a pro athlete, somebody at the stadium or a PR person probably knows somebody who works the arena or WWE or WCW whenever they're in town and Kevin Green's probably like, Hey, can you get me backstage? I want to meet this guy. And, and when you hear somebody, Hey, all pro linebacker, Kevin Green wants to meet Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan's like, bring him on brother. Make sure we get, bring that Polaroid, you know, like <laughs> there's such a difference too, between like some of the guys that you were mentioning, like Snoop Dogg. I think he really likes wrestling. Yeah. Shaq at least had a really good time. There's so many people that are being brought in and there's a big difference between the guys who love wrestling and they're really happy to be there versus like the era of the raw guest hosts where it's a PR exchange between the host trying to promote something and WWE. They don't really give a shit about wrestling, but Kevin getting into it, not just for a payday. It seems like he was putting in a a lot of effort in it. It seems like he really wanted to be there and he did like what he was doing. And that goes a long way for me as a fan. Well, and I think he understood like, Hey, there, there were, there were football players that came pro wrestlers. What I would be able to surmise from what I know about Kevin green he would know about the history of Ernie Ladd. He would know who Ernie Ladd is and know about Ernie's story and how he became one of the best professional wrestlers and he was one of the best AFL players of all time. And I feel like like he would know that story and see that like, oh, well, there were football players that you know became pro wrestlers. Maybe there's something I could do, you know? Like I feel like that's something that was always on his mind before he ever like was famous enough to just pick up the phone and have the ability to do something like that. Yes, it is that sense of if they really love it, they really want to do it, and they respect it, they're almost tentative of what they want to do. There are many celebrities when they're like, hey, what do you want to do? Like, oh, no, I don't want to do anything. I just want to meet people. I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to do anything. We're like, we'll let you punch our champion if you want. Like, we're all a bunch of fucking carnies at the end of the day. We're all, try- we're all trying to get on TMZ and get more clicks and likes. We're all trying to do that. We'll let you do anything, but it's always the people that are very, like, what? are you sure this is okay? Like uh, the questions, but it, it is, I love that you brought up the, the raw guest host thing and that's what they wanted it to be. They wanted to do raw to be like the tonight show. You promote your movie by coming to raw and you get the, you get like the Jeremy Pivens of the world. Like I know what wrestling is and wrestling's this bullshit where I yell into a microphone. I'm going to kick your ass and bury the guy and not know the whole artwork of it because fuck it. I'm here to promote a movie and I'm going to do something crazy. Whereas, you know, you get somebody who really likes it and respects it, like an Andy Kaufman did, to the utmost respect, like, I want an opportunity, I want to be able to do this, and studies it and cares about what they Mm -hmm. do on the television program. I mean, just the fact that, like, Shaquille O'Neal, he did, like, a a little tribute to Brody, you know, Brody Lee, clearly means he pays attention. I mean, little, little things like that. And even just, like, when Charles Barkley is shouting out John Moxley, it's it's cool like that, because we're all kind of... In this weird bubble of fame, obviously, Charles Barkley's fame is much larger than most people's in AEW. It's not that people in AEW aren't famous, but the idea of Charles Barkley was on the goddamn fucking dream team, okay? When you're on the fucking dream team, like, you're in a different echelon. And when you, as a wrestler, have looked up to these people and see these people as worldwide celebrities, and they give you the time of the day and give you the respect, We'll do just about anything for them. I mean, I said, we'll let you punch our champion. We don't give a shit. Like, we're a bunch of fucking carnies looking for likes and clicks just to fucking outdo the other guy. Hey, whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. This sounds like a Ford F-150 commercial. Is it? Wait. No? No, it's not. It's a commercial for the 10 Bell Pod Patreon. Hey, guys, it's Tyler here from 10 Bell Pod. Just taking a moment to remind you guys that if you want to, you can support us over on Patreon as well. We really appreciate you listening. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. 
really need a Ford F-150. Back to the Clash match. Uh, this match is fucking terrible. This, <laughs> this is maybe Hulk Hogan's worst wrestled match. But there's a big fuck finish where Rick pulls something out of his trunks, which for once wasn't his dick. Uh, he hits Savage. <laughs> She's a hog on this thing. It's the old goddamn baby arm. And when I say baby arm, I'm talking about a baby fucking sparrow. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Woo. That's right. So it's very subdued. It's a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Woo. I ain't fully drunk yet, baby. Oh, uh, Ricky's got some scamming and wheeling and dealing to do, baby. That's right. Woo. That's more like it, baby. I just got to warm up a little bit. Got to warm up the woos a little bit. Just got to warm up the, the, the girl. Was like nether regions. <laughs> I wouldn't say nether regions because Ricky was something far more violent and laugh about it like a child. <laughs> That's a good Rick Flair. That was Rick Flair. Rick Flair came into your house. Yeah, goddamn Rick Flair. <laughs> he he stole like one of my Cyclops action figures and just left. Like I don't like. He he likes taking shit from me. I'm sorry, Tyler. I I just I'm sorry. I was looking away for a second and I was like, oh my god, it sounds like Stu Hart's doing a Rick Flair impression. <laughs> <laughs> No, but Rick came in, dropped his pants, did that whole diatribe. He's like, and- you look at my dick. Yeah. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. How do I do what I want? How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do I may have to put some of this behind a paywall for your own sake, but we'll see. <laughs> ah, fuck it. Like, <laughs> don't worry about old Ricky. Ever since that Dark Side of the Ring came out, I don't think he's going to be suing anybody for defamation of character anytime fucking soon. Like, I feel I feel like I've got a, a shroud of fucking... I've got the Doctor Strange cape of fucking protection <laughs> over me right now. Oldest ride, longest line for lawsuit. <laughs> Rick hits Macho Man, he gets the pin. Kevin Green is telling Hulk what happened. That's when Zodiac and Brian Pillman run in. So Kevin gets his first in-ring experience here. Him and Hogan throw both those dudes out the ring. Pretty just short, sweet, he didn't do too much. But as like a wrestling nerd, I can't think of anything fucking cooler than being in the ring with Ric Flair, Macho Man, and pre-N-word Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I mean, he had definitely said the N-word at this point, yeah. just not Free on camera. N-word. There, there you go. <laughs> Free public. I like that as a classification, you know, before Christ, before the, you said the N-word on a sex tape. Like... That's, that's a clarification we have to make with our celebrities sometimes. <laughs> Then two days later, January 28th, 96, Kevin plays in the Super Bowl, which is whatever, I guess. The Steelers would lose that year to the Dallas Cow They Thems. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't really that great of a game either, too. It was during that era that the AFC was always fucking losing. And I'll tell you what, that, that Super Bowl was so sad for Bill Cower because it really felt like... He was taking the Steelers back to the promised land, and he was such an emotional coach where, like, you got goddamn Barry Switzer leading Jimmy Johnson's fucking team to a Super Bowl and taking credit for it, standing on stage going, we did it, we did it, we did it. You didn't do shit, Barry Switzer. The fucking only thing you did was forge Brian Bosworth's fucking college transcripts. That's the only thing you've ever fucking done. You just got handed the greatest team of the fucking 90s, and you told him, hey, Score some points. <laughs> and then Bill Cower trying to live up to Chuck Knoll, a fucking legend, and built this team through grit and determination. And then at the end of the fucking game, he's hugging his daughters, telling them not to cry for daddy, while goddamn Barry Switzer's up there going, We did it! We did it, Jerry! We did it, Jerry! We did it, Jerry! You didn't do shit, Barry! You didn't do shit! Bill Cower should have fucking won that Super Bowl. And I'm a Cowboys fan. But it doesn't make a difference. Bill Cower got his in the end. It would have been nice to see Kevin Green get a ring, though, in that in that moment, because like I said, him and Greg Lloyd, they were terrifying, man. God, they were such. A, they were kind of the thing that got me like really interested in watching football. I mean, obviously the Dallas Cowboys and the the Bills were cool to watch, but man, that was that was a good team. I feel I feel like if that team went against anybody other than one of the fucking greatest teams of a decade, I mean, they probably win the Super Bowl. Roll uh, damn tide. War Eagle. 
In 96, after three pretty damn amazing seasons with Pittsburgh, they were a little tight on cap space. They wanted to go a little younger. So Kevin was off to free agency. And in May of 96, he would sign with the Carolina Football Panthers, who had just had their first season in 95. Woo! And uh, I'm pretty sure it was Vince Lombardi that said, there's no better off-season workout than pro wrestling. So in June 96, Kevin Green would wrestle his first ever official match at the Great American Bash. And this is, of course, a football-themed match. So Bobby Heenan is the head coach for Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, taking on football players Kevin Green and Steve Mongo McMichaels, coached by Macho Man. Okay, Jake. Eight seconds left in the fourth. Ball on your opponent's 30. It's a team of all four horsemen, except for... He who shall not be named. Who is currently serving a NFL two-game suspension because he murdered his family, which he would have been banned for life had he put $300 on FanDuel. That's not what we're talking about here. So, your quarterback, Arn Anderson, is trying to lead you guys to victory. What's he saying? Oh, listen, guys. I know these guys seem tough, but they don't understand. It's tucked underneath my pants right here. Is I got a tire iron that I'm going to willy-nilly just wave around and hit who I hit. I'll knock down anybody. I don't give a shit. I especially don't give a shit about anybody wearing pads. I've never respected anybody wearing pads. I don't care if you are wearing knee pads and you're a volleyball player. I don't care if you were wearing padding as a rodeo clown. I don't respect you. I don't trust anybody. I don't like anybody in pads. So what I'm going to say what we're going to do is I want all of you to keep tire irons. I want you to go down for, for a button hook. I want you to go on a fly. And when I tell you to, I want you to start waving around that tire. And when you do, people are going to scatter. Scatter like flies. That's when old Double A is gonna go right up the middle. The only way that Double A can is straight up the middle, through the goal line, plowing over motherfuckers all the way there, scoring the six points we need for one of the most electrifying football games that I've ever seen. Winning the game six to three. That's right. Low scoring affair because defense wins championships. I am clearly a defense wins championships guy. I'm not in this fancy shit. I can give a fuck less who Matt Ryan is. I can give a fuck less about Matthew Stafford. Motherfucker's getting drunk at the Super Bowl parade. Motherfucker, I get drunk. You don't even fucking know it. I'm three sheets to win right now. You can't even fucking tell. Because I'm fucking Arn Anderson. So on to break. I, don't know, I may not be friends with Arn Anderson anymore. For, for the record, I, I feel like I've, our friendship is 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 uh, dependent upon what just happened there. But I, I I think I put Arn in a positive light there. I think I think I think Arn, you know, wouldn't mind that. Hit someone with a tire iron, win the game. That's 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 Arn. That's that's some Arn Anderson behavior right there. <laughs> All right, back to 96th grade American Bash. Despite cutting his hair, which is heartbreaking, Kevin looks like a pro wrestler, man. He is jacked as fuck and gets in the ring for the first time when he gets tagged in to take on Ric Flair. And obviously Rick is a god-tier seller and really puts Kevin over as like a monster. Bischoff said that KG had very little training, but I think he looks like good enough. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Mongo did pretty good this match. Fucking right he did, because they probably didn't have him hit the ropes. They're like, we don't have enough time to teach you how to run the ropes, so don't do it. And guess what? He looked fantastic, right? Because back to my theory, if you don't have Mongo hit the ropes, he's a good fucking wrestler. He would have been great wrestling Dick the Bruiser. Those guys weren't flying around, posting for each other on Tilt-A-Whirl head scissors. Ow! If he would just been standing there, punch, kick guy, we'd be talking about Mongo McMichaels and his Hall of Fame wrestling career. So we have another fuck finish here. Kevin's wife and Deborah were ringside, but they were chased away by Woman and Elizabeth, who were uh, bad guys here. Deborah later comes back with Woman and Liz, carrying a briefcase full of money and a four horseman shirt, leading to Kevin's first swerve bro moment. He and Rick are dueling with figure fours when Mongo takes the briefcase, 
knocks Kevin out with it and joins the four horsemen. I remember seeing the pay-per-view recap of this and I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. <laughs> Cause I love me some Kevin green, love me some four horsemen. And I was a big fan of the 1985 bears. This is the culmination of all of my fandom in one particular moment. It is fucking incredible. I fucking love it. And it's only brought down because Ric Flair is involved. That's the only thing. <laughs> but no, I, but that, I mean, Rick did appear on his football life and talked about how Kevin really dedicated himself and gave 100% to being ready for this match and was very much like wanted to make this a thing he wanted to do and like gave it 100%, much like everything he did in his entire life. Back with the Panthers, Kevin would win NFC Linebacker of the Year, leading the league in sacks for the second time with 14 and a half, and he'd also help take the Baby Panthers straight to the NFC Championship game, but uh, they ended up doing the job to the Green Bay Packers, one win away from his second Super Bowl appearance. But again, Kevin's all-pro pro bowler. And this year was fucking crazy in the NFL because you had the expansion teams and normally expansion teams are terrible. For, you look for at, a decade. Like, I mean, T- Tampa Bay was fucking radioactive for years. Now, granted, people like to forget about John Robinson. I think it was John Robinson. I think it's John Robinson. The the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he, he turned it around after like five, six years and made him a playoff team, which is respectable. But at the same time, too, like it wasn't to the NFC Championship game. And... The fact that both expansion teams were in their respective conference championship games was mind-fucking-blowing because the Jags with Mark Brunel on the other side almost were one game away from the Super Bowl as well, which is, is crazy. But it was people like Sam Mills, Kevin Green, that made up the backbone of the Panthers and with what they'd be about. If we had maybe like, uh, I don't know, maybe like a different owner that, that recognized what those guys' identity was and made that the Panther identity, you know, that's what you need as an NFL team is you need to have an identity. Know who you are. Know what we're about. What do we stand for? Like the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's about toughness. It's about defense. Like anytime that they start to get away from who they are, they just start focusing on defense and then they start winning again. Cowboys is always about stars. We're bringing in stars. Chicago Bears, smash mouth football. The Rams were about spending all the goddamn money in the entire fucking world and trading away all our draft capital, knowing we're going to suck dick for fucking four years after this. But, you know, we're good right now. And, like, I feel like if the Panthers would have, like, recognized that. And we, we kind of did to an extent with Sam Mills, because, I mean, in everybody's jersey, it says keep pounding. And, you know, when you have such highly respectable men like Sam Mills and Kevin Green, it really speaks a lot about your franchise and speaks why it is part of the reason why you're in the NFC championship game after only being in existence for two years. Considering your first quarterback was Frank Reich. You had Steve Brunell. You had Kerry Collins as your quarterback. Clearly not top tier guys. But as most of you may or may not know, I worked in the Panther team shop after I quit my job at High Spots. And we'd have throwback jerseys and the Sam Mills and Kevin Green jerseys were always one of the top sellers. So his his time in Carolina is definitely remembered very favorably, and the city of Charlotte has like embraced him. And with Ric Flair being Charlotte's Mickey Mantle for all the right reasons and all the wrong reasons, that's that's how we get what we get, and we get this this run in WCW and all the things that happen. Yeah, this is one of my earliest memories of football because I think I was about at the age. I think I'd started playing basketball already, but I was still kind of figuring out like what sports were, I guess. And I remember us almost going to the uh, Super Bowl and just like the fucking hysteria of all the adults at the time, just like so pumped. And this may have been one of the first games I ever watched, but. By the time Kevin came back to WCW in May of 97, the entire wrestling world was much different. Disappointed by his hero Hulk Hogan breaking bad, he'd show up to fight the NWO, this time teaming up with Ric Flair, as well as Roddy Piper. Kevin would head into 97 Slamboree to face Hall, Nash, and my boy, Six. This is in Charlotte at what's now Bojangles Coliseum, so Kevin gets a pretty decent pop here. 
you think? Like, <laughs> you think? I mean, you don't get much more popular Charlotte celebrities than Ric Flair and Kevin yeah. Green in the late 90s. Like, everybody, everybody's got a Kevin Green story, and everybody's got a Ric Flair story, and those two stories are completely different because <laughs> yes. one is a very nice individual, and the other one is not so much. Oh, you're saying but, Kevin, Kevin Green's a bad guy? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay, uh, I don't all think, right. I don't think that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Mm, no. Just you wait. Just wait till you have your store. Just wait till you start meeting some of these wrestlers and you have your axe to grind as well. You'll come off like the bitter old timer very soon. No, Jake, I completely understand. I used to watch you wrestle when I was a kid, and now I've met you, and it's it's broken. (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing this podcast out of spite, is oh, absolutely, absolutely. I want to see the spiral up close. Okay, cool. It's it's close. I mean, therapy's trying to hold it all together, but it's (laughs) it's falling apart at the seams. But no, yeah, this and this is a match that gets talked about a lot. And Piper is such a large, like even mainstream star at this time. Like you're not going to get a bigger fucking match. And it's the fucking NWO. Holy fucking shit. Like this is everything you want. Like they got to put just this match on the marquee and it probably would have sold the same amount of tickets. Really, to be quite honest, this is a blockbuster match. This was a great job. And, you know, Piper is probably not the best in ring shape he's ever been in his life. I, I don't know, you know, as far as like Hall and Nash, like where they're at physically right now with everything that they've gone through in their entire career. Xbox probably on the money at this time. Like he's probably on point. And Kevin Green is probably so jacked that this is happening and he's doing it. Like Scott Hall probably has to calm the fuck down every five minutes. Like easy, brother. <laughs> like probably like tell him calm down. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> But yeah, like this is an incredible match. Yeah, it's just like a fun match, you know. If you want fucking Omega Kata or some shit, it's it's, it's not it. But like, I thought X Pac and Rick that was great. Kevin Green body slams Kevin Nash, and he and Nash is like two eighty, and Kevin Green just lifts him like he's a goddamn infant. Like it's crazy. The ending's a lot of fun. Roddy has Nash in the sleeper. Rick has Hall in the figure four. And then Kevin Green hits X-Pac with a power slam for the win and the pin. So it was like a pretty clean pin. Like, X-Pac just put him over. Because X-Pac is a fucking professional. He is. The following month at 97's Great American Bash, it was time for a little payback on Mongo when he and Kevin would go 1v1. Kevin starts this with almost like a slingshot dropkick. And I was like, all right, AJ Styles, calm down a little bit. His parents are there for this match, and his mom hits Mongo with a handbag. That's all fun. You guys watch this at all? Yeah, I saw this one. I was surprised. So, like, this really showed me how far you can go if you are just an athlete, like an athletic person. And he's also, on top of that, just a big bitch. And, like, that, both of those things are going to help you in the world of professional wrestling. And, like, I went into this going, like, all right, football guys, who gives a shit? And I saw it, and I was like, all right, not as bad as, pretty decent, pretty decent, especially for what it was. And for him, only having had, like, what, a handful of matches up until this point, he wasn't as bad on some aspects as I would think he'd be. Like, some of the people, he was confident in his motions, and that's something you don't see a lot with celebrity people that come in. The forearms he was trying to give look like shit, but he was following through with a lot of the moves that he made and uh not a bad match for what it was I-, I wanted to point out too that like you know in his first few matches i think he's a little stoic but here he's starting to do like the faces you know his- i think his selling is pretty good he's like really really trying to get into it he also takes a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker in this match and that's not something you just walk off the street and do you know dear gosh no um and i remember like at this time like espn covering wcw because Kevin Green was on it. Like, they would say Kevin Green, Russell, you know, in a match with Roddy Piper and Ric Flair versus the NWO. Like, SportsCenter was covering WCW in the 90s. Like, this is a crazy fucking time. Another fuck finish. Deborah distracts the ref, and then Double J runs out to hit Kevin with a briefcase, but Kevin, like, pulls down Mongo on top of him, so Double J accidentally hits Mongo, and Kevin gets the pin. 97 NFL season, Kevin signed with the 49ers. 
which is kind of like a weird blip of his career. But, I mean, Steve Young is there, Jerry Rice. New team, same old Kevin, 10 and a half sacks. And that following season, he'd re-signed with Carolina. But in both of Kevin's 49ers and Panthers contracts, they wouldn't allow him to wrestle anymore. So he has one more offseason to go do shit in the WCW. On June 22nd, 1998's episode of Nitro, Green made a surprise return. He comes out, cuts a promo with Mean Gene, and finally his goddamn long hair was back. But he's getting some booze because they're in Jacksonville and he's a Panther. So he has to do like some damage control and put over the Jaguars, and quite frankly, it was disgusting. Kevin finally gets him on his side by saying him and Goldberg were roommates in college, and that got a huge pop. Then... Mr. Perfect and Rick Root come out to heckle him. The Giant attacks Kevin from behind, go to a commercial. They did a big pull apart between The Giant and uh, Kevin, leading us to that Nitro's main event. And if you've ever seen a Nitro main event involving the NWO, you know exactly what happens. 12 seconds of wrestling, DQ, beatdown. But Goldberg comes out and saves him, and the two LA Rams stand tall as they did in this year's Super Bowl. This all set up a match with Green and Goldberg versus Giant and Kurt, but it ended up being Kevin versus the Giant because Goldberg won the world title, setting up a match between him and Kurt Henning, which we have talked about before. So, at 98's Bash at the Beach, a pay-per-view headlined by Hogan and Dennis Rodman versus Diamond Dallas Page and the 13-year-old dating Carl Malone, we get the Giant versus Kevin Green, in his last ever pro wrestling match. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to go back to, like, there's allegations of Carl Malone. Oh, that I didn't there's know about. a lot of bad shit about Carl Malone. You should Google it. Oh, man. And he's such a dick. Yeah, like, and he's a dick. Clear, <laughs> and he's a dick. Fuck him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if there's bad shit, then really fuck him. I just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that losing to Jordan's time <laughs> just made him salty. But. Apparently, he was a bad guy. Apparently, Jordan is the babyface yeah. in this situation, <laughs> which is weird because he punched his teammates, and I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's hot, red-hot babyface material. But no, as far as this, it's like, yeah, it's this weird, turbulent thing. When Kevin probably signed up for all this, he was like, okay, I'll do a tag with Goldberg, give him a little mainstream rub, and then I'll just focus on, on football. But I remember them trying really hard to always connect Kevin Green and Goldberg when, like, I... I think that was more of a pro wrestling connection. Like, oh, we were roommates at the LA Rams. And, uh, you know, like, I think that was just kind of very thin. They might have been on the same floor. I don't know. Like, it, it it always seemed very forced, and they beat it with a drum. Like, it didn't seem, it didn't seem genuine. But I get they were trying to, what they were trying to do here. And then, of course, they do the, the course correction where, like, hey, we got to put the belt on Goldberg because we're in the Georgia Dome. And, and then Kevin Green is like, well, we, now we need you to do a job. Where before it could have been like a fun little match, like when he teamed with Flair and Piper and Charlotte, and now he's out there just kind of doing a job for the Giant because we got to keep the Giant strong because somebody's got to wrestle Goldberg eventually. Big Show was walked out to the ring smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and it just looks and it looked like he never smoked a cigarette <laughs> in his life. And it's just so tiny in his big ass hand. He smoked a lot, oh, apparently. No. He smoked a lot back in the day. And that's the thing, too, that's kind of sad, is we didn't get Kurt Hennig getting in there and mixing up with Kevin Green. Yeah, that would have been so fun. Imagine what that, yeah. imagine what that would have looked like. And that could have been a thing that made it got Kevin to go, oh, well, maybe I really can do this if I get the rest of someone like Kurt Hennig. Yeah. But now he, probably his last experience in wrestling is him doing a job for the fucking giant who's smoking a cigarette <laughs> on the way to the ring. Which, by the way, old Paul White, he's quite a jokester. I was walking out of the arena this this past week um, at the time of this recording. And, of course, Paul's one of those few people that can pull up to the arena directly with his car. And he pulled up. As I was coming out, he was pulling up in his vehicle. And he faked like he was going to go hit me. <laughs> and I completely no-sold it. And he goes, you got to give me more than that. I go, try me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I got him to cackle and laugh, and this like that's top top five. One of my favorite moments of working at AEW is making Paul White laugh hysterically. Okay. For me, no selling him trying to threaten to <laughs> run me over. <laughs> what was he driving? Oh, a huge like Escalade SUV, whatever. It was a monstrous vehicle for a monstrous man. Yeah, I'm just thinking logistically. He's not faking you out in the Civic. 
definitely <laughs> he not. He would not fit in the Civic. <laughs> All right, so after putting over the giant, Kevin Green had to go back to his stupid-ass day job with the No Fun League where he played stupid football for millions of stupid dollars and one again went to the dumbass Pro Bowl for the fifth time and 98 set a Panthers record with 15 sacks. He could have had a really cool U.S. title run, but no, the Panthers can't be happy just ruining the Panthers. They have to ruin pro wrestling, too. Goddamn Jerry Richardson ruining <laughs> a fucking another career. <laughs> the next season with the Panthers, he'd add 12 more sacks, bringing his career total to 160, and that's where it would stay as he'd retire as NFL's third all-time sack leader behind Bruce Smith and pro wrestler Reggie White. To end up behind somebody, those are two pretty good fucking guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just put that into fucking perspective just a little fucking bit. At the time, like, he was third behind Reggie White, one of the greatest defensive players of all time, and Bruce Smith, who is, like, all fucking decade defensive player. Like, to fall behind those two guys, pff, that's that's incredible. And also, too, I, I should also note that the shit on Deacon Jones. Um, I kinda, dear God, don't ever want to do that. They didn't record sacks until, I think, like the 80s or 70s anyways. So, like, the idea of, like, sack totals were never kept record yeah. of it anyways. But even still, I, I mean, if you're doing that and taking consideration guys from the Steel Curtain and the Doomsday Defense and Deacon Jones, Kevin Green's still probably top 10 overall as well. I don't think there's I don't think there's seven other guys that are gonna knock him out of the top ten. Even even with throwing in some of the greatest defensive players of all time. That's just one of the, the crazy things about him. And of course Kevin's career numbers would send him to the NFL Hall of Fame. He got inducted in two thousand sixteen and this is a little bit of controversy because he retired in two thousand and they made him wait almost two fucking decades to induct one of the greatest players to ever step on the fucking field. It was just, it's fucking weird. They do that shit. They, I mean, like Shannon Sharp, one of the best tight ends of all time. They made him wait twice. To me, like Shannon Sharp is a, what he did for the tight end position. I mean, Travis Kelsey is, is playing that way. Kyle Pitts. I mean, like all, the idea of a tight end being such a large offensive fucking weapon and seem like a, another wide receiver on the field was like pushed forward by fucking Shannon Sharp before Tony Gonzalez before a multitude of really great players Antonio Gates all of these guys and for Shannon Sharp to wait like two or three times almost to the point that he's like I don't know if I'm ever going to make it into the Hall of Fame is ridiculous so I don't know how the Pro Football Hall of Fame works I know this year's class is really fucking weak though I mean this would be the year to get in if you'd been waiting on the bubble for a while uh, well, I wouldn't say like these are they're good players, but it's just like it's not as sexy as a Peyton Manning Hall of Fame induction or, you know, Emmett Smith or a Barry Sanders or something. Following his playing career, Green would start coaching first as an intern coach with the Steelers in 08 and then a linebacker coach with Green Bay in 09. He'd be part of the 2011 Super Bowl winning Packers, getting him a ring, funny enough, against the Steelers. He uh, coached his son in high school in 2013, and that was I'm sure that was really cool. And then he just took some time away before going to the Jets in 2017 as a linebacker coach. But in 2019, the Jets like cleaned house, and he wasn't re-signed. His son went on to play. I think he's still there or is on the way to maybe trying to be a pro. I'm not sure. But his son plays at Mississippi so Kevin just kind of enjoyed watching that. He was definitely still interested in coaching and was throwing out some feelers. He ended up getting both of his hips replaced. And uh, that takes us to December 21st, 2020, when the great Kevin Green shockingly passed away from a heart attack at his home in Destin, Florida, at the way too young age of 58. I don't know if there was like an undiagnosed thing or what happened because he was seemingly like, you know, rich and healthy. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, being rich will definitely keep you alive for a very long time. <laughs> trust me. But yeah, like when they did the football life on him, he seemed so full of yeah. life. And it was just like when I found out he died, like I didn't believe it. It just like washed over me. And then it was like one of those things where months later, I'm like, oh, I wonder where Kevin Green's up to. I'm like, oh, he died. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. 
But that news didn't hit me in such a way because just you don't think somebody like it's one of those things where you hear that and it just washes over you like, oh, Kevin Green's in the news again. And and that's where it goes into your mind because you don't see him as being a person that could die that young. All right. Final thoughts on Kevin Green. So I didn't have a lot of exposure to Kevin Green uh, just because when I was born, when I started watching wrestling, like WCW is over by the time I started. But getting this little look into his brief career, uh, I am a fan of people who come into wrestling with a good positive mindset and they do it for the right reasons, even if they are a celebrity. I feel like the people that are showing up just for a paycheck like Bill Goldberg hate it. Cannot stand that. I know he was a very successful wrestler in WCW, but I know that he does not love being a professional wrestler, doesn't really give a shit. And seeing someone like this come in and have a good time, maybe not, definitely not the best wrestler, but someone who is an athlete and gave it their best to come in and they showed respect for the business. I'm all for it. I'm glad I got to learn some stuff about Kevin Green. Sounded like a good guy. Um, I will qualify this by saying I don't believe I would have agreed with Kevin politically. But that aside, uh, he seemed like the coolest dude ever. Like, I think jolly is a word I would describe him with. He's, he seemed like pumped just all the time. It was like that linebacker mentality. I wish he was the guest on like some more podcast and TV shows because he was like a fun guy to listen to. Like he had cool stories. He told them in like an entertaining way. I definitely wish there was something where he just sat down and talked about pro wrestling for an hour or two. Like that is, if that exists out there, like that's something I would love to see. Obviously one of the greatest football players to ever play. And he's been recognized as such as far as wrestling. You know, I think he was more than capable for what he was being asked to do. I think he could have been good at this. He had a awesome look. He was obviously like a monster. He had a, this big personality and because of his like NFL agility, he moved like a fucking cruiserweight and just, he improved every single time you saw him. So like, imagine that stretched out over five years. I think he would have been good, but you know, tragic, surprising, shocking passing, but from jumping out of airplanes to wrestling Ric Flair and going to the NFL hall of fame, pretty cool life. Yeah, man. Like what a cool dude. And like I said, just he's right in that sweet spot of my fandom of NFL football and pro wrestling and came along at a time that I was watching both at a disturbing amount. And of course, as Nick said, like he was improving every single time. And we talked about the what if, what if he wrestled Mr. Perfect? What if that was the thing that just made him realize like, oh, this is what I want to do. And wrestling Kurt Hennig, I don't see how you don't make that decision. And if you're like, oh, if this is out there, getting to wrestle somebody this good is out there like i'll chase that dragon to the ends of the earth and you know i was a big fan of of his football career and i did sell a multitude of jerseys even this past year to many of his fans and i always tried to make sure that in my my stand at the stadium i had a jersey of kevin green or a size run of kevin green jerseys because i was like ah man like i'm selling kevin green jerseys even in 2021 and you know when i think about him as a person, uh, I always think about his football life. And I think the thing that always sticks with me, other than obviously the wrestling, the football, but th- but this thing sticks with me more than all of that when I think of Kevin Green. Th- this is like the memory that I always think of when I think of Kevin Green. It's not, you know, played for the Panthers. It's not the, the wrestling career. I always think of this part in his football life, our documentary on the NFL Network. He was talking about his time with the Green Bay Packers when he was a coach. And he was coaching Clay Matthews, you know, who was one of the better, if not the best linebacker in the game at the time. And he was a very good coach, very dedicated, and spent a lot of time with Clay and bringing him along and making him the linebacker that he was. And Kevin talked about how when he came home after practice, his son was like, hey, why don't you show me what you showed Clay at, at practice today? Hey, why don't you show me what you taught Clay? And, of course, Kevin was like, ah, it's, it was a long day at practice, we do it tomorrow. Like it just, it's just a long day, son. Sorry, I'll, I'll take it. We'll go over it later. And Kevin said, in that moment, he realized, what the fuck am I doing? This is my son. I want to spend time with my son. And that's when he realized he needed to quit coaching, and spend more time with his son, and teach him the things that he was teaching Clay. Because like, this is my son. And like, 
they then that football life was talking about how he spent more, was spending more time with his son and coaching his son and getting his son ready in his football career. Like to to me, that's what you need to know about the man. Like it shows it shows he was intelligent, empathetic, smart enough to know, hey, what's important is my son and my family, and I'm gonna impart as much knowledge on him as I possibly can. That is a sincere, thoughtful fucking person who is immensely talented and incredible, and it's a shame we don't get more of him out in this world. One of a kind, amazing man, awesome, cool dude. Glad glad we all got to know him in the many things he wanted to do. All right, that is Kevin Green. Just, uh, you know, a different story to throw into the mix besides the, uh, he did the territories, he went to WWF, too much cocaine, uh, RIP. <laughs> like, uh, you know, just mix it up. It's a fun guy, fun story. Um, please uh, support us over at Tim Bill Pod's Patreon. Follow us on social media. Man Scout and Tyler, got anything? Nope, uh, just happy to be a part of this as always, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Keep supporting Ten Bell Pod, keep being a Patreon subscriber, check out my Pro Wrestling Tees store, and support shopaw.com, because uh, the more t-shirts we sell, the happier my boss is. And when I mean boss, I mean, I mean TK. So. All right, Tyler, you got this. Name five football players. Um, Michael Jordan. Uh... <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>